Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We're pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. We are taught this week by lead teacher Randy Pope. Thank you for joining us today. Let me tell you, we're talking about our nation today, the hope and heritage of a nation. Do you understand that we have two generations, among others here, of which one generation has perhaps some within that generation erred too far about patriotism in such a way as to, uh, to make, it a, an, uh, make it as important as worship, for that matter. Almost an idolatry of our nation. There's another generation, some out of that generation have seen patriotism as a heinous idolatry and that there shouldn't be patriotism. It's not even something we should be thinking about. There'd probably be some that thought, you put a flag, an American flag up in church, why are you doing that? Do you know that our differences of opinion root down to theology? We have different theological perspectives. It's, it's the issue of pre Suppositions. We suppose certain things previously, and in light of that, when we hear something, we have to make we have to make a decision. How do we use that information? And if we place it on something that is presupposed and is not truthful, it leads us to an erroneous place. If it's based on the truth, then it serves us well. We're in a subject matter where there is a lot of controversy. A lot of controversy. And I'd like to address some of those issues in light of Psalm 33. And I want to take us to Psalm 33. But before I do, I'd like to read, and I will read it, a story to you. It's a brief story. It is the story. It's the story of a Christian woman, an abusive husband, their child, and a godless and a godless. Um, suitors of that woman. I want you to listen to the story, and I want you to remember this is an analogous story, but it has very deep implications. Great insight can come from it. Just listen carefully. I'm not going to put it on the screen. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, there was a young Christian woman who lived alone with her cruel and abusive husband. No matter how hard the woman tried to please her husband, he always answered her with scorn, contempt, and abuse. Eventually, she became pregnant with the man's child. But the husband was furious about the woman's pregnancy, and his cruelty only intensified. The woman bore the husband's cruelty as long as she could, but finally, she fled to another land. Although still pregnant, she endured a long and tiresome journey so she could give birth to the child in a safe and loving environment. The young woman proved to be a great mother. She instilled in her child the hopes and commitments of a godly believer. She taught her child to embrace Christian values. And this child began to prosper beyond her wildest dreams, blessed by God. However, as the child grew older, the mother became distracted from her mothering duties, and she failed to continue to guide her child as she had before. Sadly, the woman began to date numerous godless men who did not share her beliefs and who had no lasting interest in her child. The suitors often scorned the mother's concern for the child. 
In time, these men convinced the mother that a parent had no right to require moral obligation from her child. They told her that teaching the child biblical requirements was simply imposing her own morality on the child. The mother, perhaps in an attempt to please her suitors, gradually allowed the child to drift from her original teachings. <clears throat> to the woman's dismay and bewilderment, within a few short years, the child was in very serious trouble. The child showed evidence of extreme insecurity and rebellion and lived a life of destruction and aimlessness. Even today, the future of the child is still in the balance, but the outlook looks extremely bleak. Now, you probably picked up the analogy. Just in case you didn't, the mother, our nation's forefathers, we call them pilgrims. The father, the Parliament of England. The child, our own United States of America. And the suitors, the godless suitors, secular humanists of our land. And it tells the story. I wrote that story of our nation's birth in history to raise several somewhat controversial questions. And these questions I want to address today. And because of our time, I'll split it in half. And the primary teaching of God's Word is going to be in the second half of the message. So I'm just going to lay the foundation for next week. And then we will start our series the following week on the story. Here are a few of the questions that it raises. I bet we would have great differences in this auditorium as to what we believe. Question number one, was America born as a Christian nation? And if not, was it ever intended to be? Number two, is there a correlation between our nation's heritage and its abundant prosperity? Number three, is it right to legislate morality, imposing a particular morality on its nation's people? If you have your Bibles, electronic or not, doesn't matter. I hope you're bringing them. Open your Bibles to Psalm 33, beginning in verse 12 through 22. <clears throat> Follow as I read the Word of God. Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory. Nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let thy loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in thee. Now, I'm going to, as I mentioned, divide this in half. I'm going to go through the first three of five points you have in your bulletin. And these three are all important insights regarding the heritage and hope of a nation. The first, in reality, is a civic lesson. <clears throat> Do you know that in this day and age, young people are not getting near the history that they used to get in school years and years ago? 
So many of our young people don't know certain things about our historical roots. Number two point is going to be pretty much just a, a very simple, quick observation, right or wrong. It's my observation. I want to throw that in. I think probably you would agree. And then number three is an often misunderstood reality. And hopefully by showing you this, next week we're going to be able to see why we should fight for our freedom and we're going to learn why and how to remain hopeful in the midst of freedom's loss. And I think we'll see from God's perspective, it's going to root in our hearts some issues that, oh, are going to be so helpful to deal with. So let's look at number one. They're all fairly brief. Number one, the United States was begun as a theistic nation possessing religious freedom with the intention of propagating the gospel. Now, it's just important to know this, that the United States was never, historically speaking, it was never intended to be a Christian nation. Now, if we believe that it was, that's going to lead us to certain conclusions that's going to bring certain responses from people today. It can even make us question some things that God is doing if we were a Christian nation. Very much like many of us as individuals question what God is doing in our life because we're Christians and we should assume God will do certain things, for, but we have to understand that. What and how? Now, it is, it is true that for the most part, our forefathers, the pilgrims that came over and those soon after them, they did come here with the desire to seek to advance the truths of the Christian faith. That is true. Uh, you cannot get around it. Read anything historically. Do you know Bob Car Cargo on our teaching team? Uh, Bob made a, a, a comment in a message several weeks ago when he was, uh, when he was teaching, and he, he brought out the fact, and this is true, that some of the forefathers came over hoping to make this a Christian nation. But they began to evaluate and realize, and they decided, no, that is not a wise and appropriate thing to do. And so they pulled back from that. Now, the intentions to spread the Christian faith, absolutely. Listen to Governor William Bradford as he shares the motives of our, our young founders, uh, early founders. It says that the pilgrims had a great hope and inward zeal of laying some good foundation, or at least to make some way thereunto for the propagating and advancing of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ in those remote parts of the world. Not a full sentence, but he was saying that was the intention, uh, no doubt about that. Or you look at the Mayflower contract. Um, some of you would know that uh, is best kind of nicknamed as America's birth certificate. Uh, look what it says. Having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. And that's enough said of it. Uh, well, okay, we'll finish it. We all came to these parts of America for the same end and aim, to advance the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt about that. The New England Confederation, in that early writing, look what it says. We all came to these parts of America for the same end and aim, to advance the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If there's any debate, all you got to do, take a trip to Washington, D.C. 
Look at the Washington Memorial. Look at the Lincoln Memorial. Look at the Jefferson Memorial. I mean, just look what's printed right there, etched in stone. Okay, it's, it's no doubt. Do you know that there is without any question that the majority literature that was used, read, and so forth by our forefathers was the Bible over and over and over again. However, nowhere in the Declaration of Independence or in our Constitution will you ever see Jesus? Do you ever see the Christian faith as such? It is in God. They decided we need a theistic country where people can express their religions freely and that we're not a nation of one religion while we have our First Amendment. And to say, you're free to have your religion. Here was their thinking, though. Their thinking said this, hey, you give us a level playing field. You give us a level playing field. We got the Holy Spirit. We have power beyond ourselves the world doesn't know of. And we have the ability to advance the kingdom through the power of the Spirit. Just give us a level playing field and we can see God's kingdom come, not to make this nation his kingdom, but to bring his kingdom upon this nation. A lot of difference between those two. We treat something that's God's kingdom differently from something that's not God's kingdom where God's kingdom can come upon the earth. Those different presuppositions can lead us to different conclusions as to how we should treat our nation, how we shouldn't treat our nation. So very important just to know nothing ever, ever in there about anything such as that. Now, number two of our three. Number two, just an observation. America's prosperity has been proportionate to the degree to which it has conformed to the teaching of God's Word. I have to be very, very careful when I make this kind of statement because whenever we talk about prosperity, we're in danger as to what we mean and when we use prosperity. If you've been through the membership process of this church, you've heard me explain that we are not a church who believes in prosperity theology. Now, in light of that, I make the distinction between lifestyle prosperity theology and life prosperity theology. We believe in the latter, very biblical. We do not believe in the former, very unbiblical. The idea that lifestyle prosperity says, hey, you give God $10, he'll give you 100 back. You want to get wealthy? You give money. Just give, 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 and you'll make, make, make. That's God's promise. Hey, you sick? You got, you got cancer? You got a problem medically? Hey, you give faith. You give trust, and you watch. God's promise is to heal, and he will heal you. That's not true. How many Christians have become so disillusioned over the reality that their God didn't come through on his promise, which he never made? God never promised that, hey, if a nation, if you follow my ways, then you're going to be wealthy, 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 wealthy. And here we are, the wealthiest nation in the world. It doesn't mean that God cannot give prosperity, theology, uh, prosperity in terms of lifestyle. In fact, do you know, you can find this in schools around, in sociology. Do you know there is the historical reality that when Christianity comes into a country that's never had the gospel, or I should say a people group, a tribe, whatever it may be, and the gospel comes in, they have a term sociologically of what can be expected. You know what it is? It's called redemption and lift. 
Let people find redemption and watch the culture and the lifestyle lift. Many people, many churches raise money from their churches by just telling their stories, just the positive story, nothing wrong with it, to say, look how God prospered, prosperity in terms of lifestyle when I began to give. I gave, and uh, Carol and I tell those stories all the time. They're good stories. But let me tell you, often God says, the way I can best bless you is by taking away your lifestyle prosperity so that you might experience life prosperity. That's what we really want is life prosperity. God can take away certain freedoms from us. Why? To prosper us. It gives us a whole different perspective as opposed to the country's not going the way it's supposed to go and therefore I can't prosper, we can't prosper as a nation. Oh, no, no, no. Let me tell you, we as God's people can prosper because of God all the time. And that's what we'll get into in Psalm 33. Now, in light of that, let me say that it is fair, I think, if you were to graph, and it's been done, the conformity of our nation's laws to God's laws and the amazing, I mean the amazing consistency of how it coincides with what we might call prosperity of our nation. I, I think there was probably a marked big turn uh, in 1962 when the Supreme Court ruled prayer out of public schools. When I came through public schools as a, as a little kid, man, we, we memorized scripture, we prayed, we did, that was just part of the norm. Do you know in the last, just in the last few decades, uh, maybe 15 years ago, I've been in Russia. I was in Russia and they took me from school to school to school, public elementary schools, school to school to school, to listen to the children as they would quote their scripture in school. Amazing what's happened in our land. There is perhaps a, um, a way to suggest that if you just look at my elementary school years, do you know I saw this written one time, you know what the biggest problem was when I was in elementary school? Spitballs. <laughs> Talking in class. Those were the two highest. Spitballs. I remember them well. <laughs> and and, and we, we had to get paddled sometimes for those things. Wouldn't, wouldn't the school system rejoice to have those as their two worst problems today? Uh, something's changed. No doubt there is some sort of correlation. And we should see that in life. Blessing of life comes as we adhere to God's plans and God's ways. It doesn't mean we become wealthy. It doesn't mean we don't get sick. But we get blessed. And you that walk deep in your faith, you know what I'm talking about there. You that don't yet, get ready. It's one of the best parts of the Christian life. Let's look at number three. Number three. It is never wrong for a state to impose morality on its people. Never inappropriate. Every nation, and you need to know this, young people particularly know this, every nation is founded either on theistic or a or atheistic principles. It has to. It's one or the other. Every legislation that is enacted is enacted out of some ethical or moral belief system or the absence of it. Repeatedly, though, we hear you can't legislate morality. Now, I hope you understand this. It is true you can't make somebody moral by the laws. The heart can't be changed by law. 
But folks, we do need to know this, that you can't legislate anything but morality or immorality. They're the only two that we can. We pass laws because something is moral or by the fact that it's not. Now, we often hear this, well, what about separation of church and state? And just for those that haven't heard this through history, know this. There's nothing in any of our documentation as a country for the word separation, church, state. That's not in there. It actually came about by Thomas Jefferson to the Bradbury Baptist. He wrote a letter, and he is really emphasizing the first, literally the, the first amendment which reads like this, by the way, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And he was simply arguing the truth that you, you just got to prohibit the government from infringing upon the church. And what happened, that got co-opted by the opposition of that to say separation of church and state. We got it. Our forefathers said it. Never, never, never intending that the state would be able to say, hey, you can't have any religious expression because that's a public environment. But nevertheless, that's what's happened. The truth is, it's nonsense to say you can't impose morality. Rape laws, they impose morality on rapists, don't they? Murder laws, they impose morality on, on murderers. You can say the same about prostitution laws and everything else. Absolutely. Listen to George Washington, what he had to say. Our first president, true religion offers to government its surest support. Without God and the Bible, it would be impossible to govern. He then later said it would be impossible to govern without God and the Ten Commandments. Listen to our founding father, Noah Webster. Noah Webster said it this way, the moral principles and precepts contained in the scriptures ought to form the basis of all our civil constitutions and laws. All the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. And same is true in individual life. We should know that. And so, therefore, number three. Let me just read number four and five before we leave out of here, and I'll close this out. Number four, simply next week, reads this way. We must continue to fight for the freedom of our land, not for the sake of the enjoyment of its freedom, but for the opportunity to more freely and effectively propagate the gospel. And then the heart of what we want to get into, number five, our hope in a strong America may be passed. And you know it may be. We may never know what we've known in the past. But our hope in God remains as strong as it ever has. Psalm 33. Would you do this? Would you read it this week? Would you uh, just uh, let your mind be marinated by the truth of Psalm 33? particularly 12 through 22. Just look at it, look at it. Next week, we're going to see the power of hope. We're going to see the danger of extinguished hope, which some of us are experiencing right now. It leads us to depression. And God's use of trials to refine and refocus our true hope. There are some of us that are operating without hope. It's a hope deficiency. And you're hurting so deeply. You need hope so badly. 
And many of us know the need of hope and we're grasping for it. Unfortunately, many of us experiencing a very temporal, misplaced hope. But when we place our hope in God, as you'll read in Psalm 33, you put your hope in God and then, yeah, you lose freedom. Not spiritual freedom, but national freedom. You lose health, not spiritual health, maybe physical health. You lose some happiness in terms of, oh, that was fun and enjoyable. But you don't lose joy because our hope is in God. And I want us to be praying, God, use this next week and through the weekend that we might just shatter inappropriate hopes, even if it be our nation, and that we put our hope fixed upon our God. That is the answer to life. He is our hope. We're going to do this to close before I pray. We're going to stand together. Would you stand? And we're going to, together, we're going to read a responsive reading, and it's going to be, we're going to read the Declaration of Dependence. It is not going to be the Declaration of Independence. It's going to be the Declaration of Our Dependence. If you're a seeker here, and, and this is not your declaration, you don't have to say it. Listen to it, though. This is what we as Christians believe. Here is where we find our hope, and therefore we depend upon Him. And so, let's give our attention to the screen, and we will read together. I will do this responsibly. We'll start, and then you respond together. We recognize that our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ. Together, we recognize that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We recognize the great love the Father has lavished upon us that we may be called the children of God. We know that because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sin, and that it is by God's grace we have been saved. We confess our dependence on Christ's grace, which is sufficient for us, and on His power, which is made perfect in our weakness. We are dependent on God who is our help, our refuge, our strength, our song, and our salvation. We, and now we declare that it is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to rely on our own understanding. We declare that we trust in God's unfailing love and that our hearts rejoice in His salvation. We declare that Christ's love compels us because He died for us and that we do not belong to ourselves but to God because we have been bought with a price. We declare that we will no longer live for ourselves but for Him who died for us and that we will fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the good shepherd who has laid down his life 
for the sheep. We declare that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, and we will praise him forever. Because in his great mercy, he has given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And finally, we declare that through Jesus, we believe in God. We declare that our faith and hope are in him. Let's pray now. Father, we're about to sing a great truth. And as we prepare our hearts for that, we come to you now and we say, God, forgive us. Forgive us where we have failed as a people of this nation to revere appropriately as we're to give reverence in an appropriate way to our authorities, even those we don't always love and agree with. It causes us to love this country. And Father, causes us to believe in you, not to believe simply in our country, but to believe in you and to appreciate what you've given us in this land. Father, we ask that you would forgive us when we've made this place an idol of our own hearts and where we put our hope in this land. We put our hope, we've even seen it in the expressions of our uh, almost depression over what we might see in politics going on in our country right now. And Lord, may we find our joy and our hope in you. And Lord, where we've misplaced in other things and other people our hope. God, forgive us for that. May this be a week of cleansing. And may the teaching next week bring a great exclamation point to the end of saying, Lord, now we declare truly, not just by word, but in the very depths of our heart, we put our trust in you. You are the mighty one, and we thank you that we can pray this in the strong name of Christ, who on Calvary Cross gave us everything to hope in, his death on our behalf. May we flee to the cross. May we fall in love with him because of it. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.